the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting live from my law office in San Jose, California, in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. Uh, if you like the uh, the opening music and closing music for my show, I just wanted to point out it's a, an actual uh, song written by a, an old friend of mine, John Taylor. It's called American Millennium, and it's from his uh, album that he released a number of years ago called Moonlight. Uh, John's an exceptionally talented musician. Uh, at one point, he was running the uh, the music at the O Show at the Bellagio Cirque du Soleil. And, um, and his album, I, when I got a copy of his album, I fell in love with it, especially fell in love with American Millennium. And when I decided to launch this show a little over a year ago, I asked John if I could use his music as the, uh, the intro to my show and the outgo from my show. And he very graciously consented to that. And I just want to give a shout out to John. Um, and if you look up American Millennium John Taylor, you'll actually be able to uh, find other of his music at the website that, you'll, that will show up. I'm going to be taking calls today for anyone who'd like to call in with a question that I can take on the air and answer for you, hopefully answer for you on the air. It's 800 516 1220. That's 800-516-1220. I had a pretty good turnout for my Living Trust Seminar this past uh, Saturday, and um, I'm going to be working with several of the families that attended that seminar. Uh, You're invited to attend one of my upcoming seminars, which will be in October on the 19th of October at 9 o'clock a.m., and then another seminar, Living Trust Seminar, at 12 o'clock noon on that day. To register, you can go to eventbrite.com and look for the Living Trust Seminar on October 19th. Or you can go to my website at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B.com, and uh, click and search for the links for my Living Trust Seminars. If you go through there, it will take you through to Eventbrite so you can register for whichever seminar you might be interested in attending. Space is limited at these seminars. I try to limit them to no more than 12 or 13 people. So they're very intimate. Gives you a chance if you'd like to come and meet me and learn more about what I do as an attorney. 
gives you a chance to come in a non-threatening atmosphere to kick my tires, so to speak, to, to see what I'm like as a person in real life. People who have come over the last year uh, have come into my seminars, hearing about them on the radio. They've found that I'm exactly the same person in person as I am on the radio. I don't have a special radio voice that I use, uh, although I'm capable of doing that if I want to do, since I do have training from my past in uh, radio broadcasting. But um, I use my normal voice on the radio, and I use my normal voice when I do seminars and when I meet with people in my office. If you're at all interested in a consultation on estate planning, I don't charge for those consultations. I'll give you a half hour of my time free, usually more than a half hour, but I advertise a half an hour. And you can go to my website and find a link there to schedule an estate planning consultation. I can also do trust administration consultations. If you're now taking over a trust because someone has died and you've been left in charge of handling things, uh, you can register for those as well. You can also register for uh, for a, uh, an, a, a trust petition consultation if you happen to have one of those situations where you have loose property that needs to get into somebody's trust after they died. That's called the Hegstat petition. Or if you have an irrevocable trust that you'd like to have changed. Maybe you're the surviving spouse on that trust and you realize the trust is requiring you to do things that don't make sense anymore or the family would like something different. Maybe you'd like to put into the trust that you had with your spouse, put in asset protection planning for the family and get rid of the requirement to divide assets, things like that. That's called a trust modification petition. And you could also register for a consultation on that as well. Now, continuing on with what I've been doing for uh, most of the past year, kind of the process I follow on this show, I'm going to go back to questions and comments from around the state of California. And um, so here's one out of Woodland Hills, California. And it goes something like this. My parents have had a trust for some time. But through undue influence, exploitation, and other forms of elder abuse by one of my siblings um, will now be receiving all of their estate in their trust. Before my parents changed the trust, one of them had a stroke, now considered incompetent. Could these changes still be made by my other parent? Well, if this is actually a joint trust that was signed by a husband and wife, or husband and husband, or wife and wife, as long as we're talking about a married couple here, then the changes cannot be made by one of the spouses without the other spouse consenting and uh, signing off on any changes that were made. And if the other spouse was, in fact, incompetent, then um, there's really no way to make any change to an existing joint trust without going and having the change made through the court system because uh, a joint trust is designed to uh, have both the spouses make any changes and agree to any changes that were made. So if one of them is now incapacitated or incompetent, the other one cannot unilaterally make changes. In this case, if changes were made by one parent without the consent of the other parent who was incompetent, those changes are probably completely unenforceable 
and have no legal effect whatsoever. But the fact that the changes were made or attempted to be made when there was an incompetent spouse is a serious problem. And uh, for this person, they should probably address that with Adult Protective Services in the county where they're located, um, especially if there was a sibling that uh, arranged this and induced this and induced uh, a parent to try and make a change to their existing estate plan. Now, here's someone who's here's someone who says my mom gifted my house to me in 1991 before she died in 1997. I'm not sure how much the house was then valued, maybe about $120,000. It's probably 500000 now. Uh, we've lived there and will continue to live there. Don't know whether I should gift the house to my children or sell it to them for a low amount. I'll tell you right now, don't gift your house to your children while you're still alive. Well, we'll just start with that. If you're going to do that, it has to be for a very specific planning reason, such as uh, planning for Medi-Cal benefits for long-term care. And even then, it has to be done in a very specific way. If you make a gift of any real estate or any stock or bonds or mutual funds or anything that would qualify for special tax treatment at death, namely capital gains income tax treatment at death, you are making a gift of whatever your acquisition cost is in that property. And in so doing, you are basically taking away from your children the ability to have a higher tax base for income tax purposes when you die and pass it on to them. This person should be putting the house into a trust and leave it that way to the children at death, not transfer during lifetime. So we're coming up on the first break today, uh, the first commercial break. And uh, I just want to let you know I am taking calls. It's 800-516-1220. But when we come back after the break, if there's no calls, I'll continue on with questions and comments from around the state. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. The telephone number is 800-516-1220. If you'd like to call into the show today and ask me a question, you can also email me questions if you'd like at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. So feel free to uh, email your questions as well if you'd like. I'd be happy to answer them on the air for you. Now, here is actually a very common question that comes up uh, around the state. I I see it very regularly. Uh, This person says, as a beneficiary of a family trust in California, am I entitled to a copy of the trust after the trust maker dies? Um, Because now the trust is irrevocable. The answer is absolutely yes. In fact, there is a specific law, probate code section 16061, that uh, requires the trustee of a trust to notify all of the beneficiaries of a trust that's now irrevocable, that the trust is irrevocable, and either provide a copy of the terms of the trust or offer to provide a copy of the terms of the trust. Um, That should be done 
typically within 30 to 45 days after someone has died. And it actually, the purpose is to not only let people know what the trust says and what they're likely to be receiving, but also to give people an opportunity to um, to contest the trust if they think that there's terms of the trust that were obtained uh, illegally or in an improper manner, uh, something along those lines. So, so it's actually a dual purpose, both to inform the beneficiaries and to give beneficiaries who are um, upset and think something is wrong to give them a time period during which they can start legal action. If they fail to start the legal action during that time period, then you can't start it later on if you've decided that you don't like what's going on. So it, it basically, it's in the law so that the trustee of a trust can at some point have the clear ability to actually distribute assets out to the beneficiaries without fear that some um, beneficiary is going to come back later and complain about uh, the trust and upset everything that's already been done. Now, here's someone. Here's someone who says uh, they've lived and taken care of an elderly friend for over five years. And the friend added uh, added me to the title on the friend's house three years ago. Now the friend is in a nursing home. She's been in a nursing home for several months now and now wants to remove her name from the title and make me the sole owner. Can the nursing home and or Medi-Cal force me to sell her home and then take the proceeds? Or can they put a lien on the house? Says uh, she's a surviving joint tenant. The house is paid for. Um, should the mother, uh, should this uh, friend execute a quit claim deed or grant deed? Um, houses in California. This is kind of an interesting situation. I mean, basically, if it's a joint tenancy property and it was put on three years ago, that uh, actually is outside of the um, outside of the the current law here in California for gifts that were made. If a gift was made within 30 months of the time applying for uh, going into a nursing home, then uh, it's possible that the gift would cause some time period of ineligibility to receive assistance from Medi-Cal. Here the suggestion is that uh, it was actually done 36 months ago, and when application was made for Medi-Cal, the 30-month time period had already uh, expired from the date of the death or the date of, of the transfer of the joint tenancy interest to this friend. The uh, issue here is um, at the death of this person in the nursing home, now the state can only really go after assets that would be subject to probate. Um, a joint tenancy property would not be subject to probate at the death of the person in the nursing home, it would pass directly to the surviving joint tenant. Um, in a similar fashion, and I think a better approach, a, a house that is in a revocable living trust can pass to the beneficiaries of that trust at the death of the creator of the trust, and it is not subject to any recovery right or recovery claim from the state for um for Medi-Cal benefits paid out, for example, for long-term care. That's a change in the law that went into effect a few years ago. 
It's a major change in the law, and it makes it possible, especially for families that pretty much just have a house and not much else, to make sure that that house is going to pass on to the next generation or generations without being forced to be sold. Many families have multiple generations living in the same house, and they may even be living in the house owned by the person that's now in the nursing home. The legislature decided a few years ago, and I thought it was a good decision, that in a case like that, the state cannot recover against the personal residence of, of that person that is in a trust when they die. So that's actually a very quick and straightforward way to protect someone's residence from a recovery claim from the state. If the residence goes through probate, though, the most likely result is the state can assert a claim and can recover in probate and uh, even compel the property to be sold to recover against it. So if you know somebody in that situation where all they really have is a residence, um, I'm looking right now into a greatly simplified and much less expensive um type of trust approach. I, I'm working on it right now that would be specifically for someone in that situation that just needs to protect a residence because um, they're either in a nursing home or about to go into a nursing home or anticipate that they will be in a nursing home. Um, I do estate planning, which means I tend to do more complicated planning than just avoiding um, a house going through probate. But right now, I'm examining coming up with a much less expensive alternative to help those many, many people that have the situation I've just discovered. It's not a very extensive estate plan. It's not intended to do anything much more than avoid probate and pass assets on to the next generation. But um, it's it's something that will be much simplified from what I normally do. But uh, when I get that put together, I'll let you all out there in the audience know that that's available. Uh, there'll be very, very specific restrictions on who can utilize that approach. Um, and it's going to be basically a, an asset restriction and likely an income restriction as well, because it's not intended to use for larger estates or those that have uh, resources. So when that uh, is put together, I'll let everybody know and it'll end up on my website as well. We're coming up on the mid-show break now, and uh, when we come back after the break, I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. You can always call 800-516-1220 if you'd like to talk on the air. But until then, until we come back after this mid-show break, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and we'll continue after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about uh, issues from around the state of California, and and I'm going to continue on here in the second half of our show today with some more questions and uh, my comments 
from uh, matters throughout the state. This comes out of Los Angeles. And um, it goes something like this. Is it illegal for my husband to sign my name to transfer out of our mutual trust fund without my consent? Our trust was set up in 2011 and my husband transferred everything out this year by signing my name. Well, let's unpack this. If the trust that was set up only requires one spouse in order to transfer the property, then the husband would need to sign his wife's name. But if the wife had given the husband a power of attorney to sign her name on anything to do with the trust, well, then it would not be illegal for her husband to sign her name to transfer everything out without her consent. It would not be a good idea because I'm sure that the divorce is following quickly. If, on the other hand, the husband signed his wife's name without authority, that's called forgery, and that is a crime. So in that case, it would be illegal for the husband to sign the wife's name to transfer property out of their trust without her consent. Um, that is a form of theft. And uh, I can tell from this that probably the end of that marriage is coming up soon. And the wife is probably going to go after the husband for doing that transfer and maybe insist that everything be returned. If she did not consent, especially if it's community property, if he transferred it out to someone else without her consent, she has a right actually under the law to have all that property returned back to the marriage because it's community property. Uh, not just her half, but the whole thing. Um, this this kind of came to light uh, when, I can't remember his name, he owned that uh, the basketball team there in Los Angeles, and he was caught uh, being videoed with his girlfriend. His wife divorced him, and one of the things that she did was go after his girlfriend to get back everything that he had given to her during the marriage. I think like a fur coat, maybe a car, um, possibly even an apartment, a uh, place to live. Uh, she had a right to demand all that be returned because it was community property assets owned by the marriage, and she hadn't consented to give any community property a assets to her husband's girlfriend. I think it would take a very rare and exceptional uh, wife to say, yeah, it's okay for my husband to give anything to his girlfriend. But um, that's probably what could happen there is she could probably get all the property back. And if he did, in fact, forge her name, sign without her consent, that's a crime. And, uh, and he could be charged and prosecuted for forgery in a situation like that. So um, that particular marriage, probably on its way out, but that's kind of how I see it with that situation. Now here, can my siblings fight me over the, our parents' house if six years ago my parents issued a grant deed and transferred the title of the house to me and the parents are still alive? So the parents are still alive. Now my siblings are talking about fighting for 
a share of the house when the parents die. Can they fight me? Yes, they can. They can absolutely go to court and fight all they want. Will they win? That's going to depend on a lot of things. Probably the primary one is, were the parents competent when they transferred the house to this child? Um, Did they transfer the house because they didn't want the other children to get anything? Maybe they were estranged from the other children. But uh, did the child who received the house exercise undue influence or lie to or trick the parents into doing the transfer? If none of those things happen and the parents just decided, we want to give our house to you, Johnny, uh, and that was six years ago and they're still alive and presumably still competent, the chances of the siblings being able to show that they should get any kind of share of the house are almost zero because without proof that there was undue influence, without proof that there was something um, nefarious or untoward going on with the transfer, people have the right to transfer their property to their children, to one child, to all the children, to their grandchildren, to their best friend, to somebody walking by on the street. They have the right to do that. It's their property. So I don't think, based on what I'm reading here, that the siblings are going to have much chance in uh, in doing anything about this. Now, here's one out of uh, San Francisco wanting to know about the term beneficiary. What does that mean? It says, my fiancé passed away suddenly about two weeks ago. I received a letter from his company saying I'm the beneficiary of his 401k plan. I knew that he had a trust, and I called up um, the, his family member, who's the trustee, to tell him about it. This family member is hoping I will do the, quote, right thing and put all the 401k inside the trust. My question is, how am I supposed to do that? My fiance has two young boys. Am I supposed to leave everything for them? My concern is that I'll be struggling to make a living but I'd also like to do the right thing. Well, that's kind of this is kind of like a moral judgment here. But let's talk about this. Your fiance made you the beneficiary of his 401k plan. He did that in case he died. He didn't do that in case he died 20 years from now. He did that in case he died, period. It sounds like he had a trust and there's other property in that trust that is being left to take care of his two young children. Um, so that's the first thing. I think he intended to benefit you with his 401k plan, and there is no right thing to somehow put it inside the trust for his children. But there's another issue here, and that is that if this person's the beneficiary of the 401k plan, the only possible way that they could get that 401k plan into the trust, the fiance's trust, would be basically to do what's called a disclaimer. And that is to inform the 401k company, the one that's holding that 401k, that they do not wish to receive some or all of the 401k plan. So, for example, a disclaimer of 50% of the 401k plan would likely force half the 401k plan to be payable to the fiancé's estate. That's the fiancé's probate estate. 
Now there, if the fiancé has a special will called a pour-over will that says everything's to be turned over to his trust, that would force the issue of having half the 401k plan be turned over to the trust because they're able to an estate. It's subject to what's called the five-year rule. It'll have to be taken out over no more than five years um, uh, from the date of death of the fiancé. But then the money at least ends up going, presumably going, to his his two young sons. That's assuming that the trust says it goes to his two young sons. So that would be maybe, quote, doing the right thing. Um, but again, it, it would appear to me that the fiancé intended this result. And so I think the right thing is to honor what the fiancé wanted, which is take the 401k money. Um, it's clear that there was a relationship there. People don't often put a fiancé on as the beneficiary of anything prior to getting married. So this suggests that there was actually a pretty close relationship there, and that's why the person was put on the 401k plan. So here, let's see. Um, So here, here's someone saying, look, if I die... We'll pause right here. When I die, I want my only daughter to be raised by my friend. Now, that presumes that the daughter is under age 18. Um, My daughter's father is incarcerated for the next five years or so, and both our family's health isn't so good, and obviously I don't want her in the foster care system. What documents are needed, and how do I go about making sure my daughter is taken care of in the county where I live? in case something were to happen to me while she's still a minor and I die. I would say you die or become incapacitated. Well, what this mother needs to do is do what's called a nomination of guardian, where she names in a legal document that's ready to be filed with the court, if necessary, that she wants her friend to be the guardian for her daughter's person, that's to raise her, and her daughter's estate, That's whatever money or property might be coming to her daughter uh, turned over um, at age 18. If she has property and assets, she might want to consider setting up a living trust and then also doing a nomination of guardian and a nomination of guardians in the will that would be prepared as part of that estate plan. Um, That will not guarantee that the daughter will go to the friend to be raised, especially if the father is out of jail and is not otherwise had his rights as a father removed, but I think that would be the best approach for someone in this situation. Well, we're coming up on the third break in the show, and uh, when we come back, uh, I will take a call, one call if the call comes in, 800-516-1220. Otherwise, I'm going to finish out the show with a few more of these situations from around the state and uh, get those questions and get some answers out there for you. This is attorney Bob Bergman. I'll talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, we're in the final segment of our show today. I wanted to remind you all, I do have uh, Living Trust Seminars coming up October 19th in my office at 9 o'clock a.m. and 12 o'clock noon. So there's two presentations 
they're the same presentations. Um, I only take about 12 or 13 people for each one of those seminars. And uh, I already have people registering for both seminars. So if you're interested in coming in and learning more about living trust planning and the types of things I do as an estate planning attorney, I, I urge you to go ahead and register sooner rather than later because once they fill up, it will, won't be until November that I'll have more seminars. Now, continuing on with questions and comments from around the state of California, uh, here's one that uh, comes up, and it's not an earth-shattering question, but it kind of raises a question about um, maybe I get a chance to explain a bit just what the role of an attorney is in estate planning and what the role of an attorney is after a client has died. <clears throat> so here's someone said, my sister-in-law became trustee after the death of her mother, trustee of the mother's trust. I sent her back to the lawyer who wrote the trust for a certificate or certification of trust. Now let's pause right there. A certification of trust is basically uh, a document that identifies who the trustee of a trust is, whether the trust is revocable or irrevocable, and uh, also may give uh, information about the powers of the trustee and may also give information about who successor trustees may be. When someone dies who has a living trust and someone else takes over, you need a new certification of trust for that new trustee because the one that named the original creator or owner of the trust is no longer valid because they're no longer alive. Now here the person saying, the trust attorney claimed he needed current appraisals of items in the trust and would not issue the certificate unless the sister-in-law hired his firm to administer the trust. I know the value of the trust is not on the certificate. We're willing to pay them to draft the document, but they won't do it. Blackmail, can they get away with this? Well, the answer is absolutely they can get away with this. Um, an attorney is not required to, um, to take on the assignment to do part of administration of a trust just because they did the original trust for a client. Um, I will sometimes, when people come in, I'll tell them, you know, look, there's a lot of things you can do as administration, do on your own and not pay me to do for you. There's some things that I should do for you because they're legal things to be done, legal documents to be drawn or legal notifications to be made. And then I have people hire me for the purpose of doing that kind of work because it makes sense that I do the strictly legal work. One of the things might be creating a new certification of trust. But I'm not sure why current appraisals of property would be relevant to creating a new certification of trust. Uh, however, insisting that a firm be hired to administer the trust in order to do any kind of work in reference to a trust administration, that's not improper at all. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because as an attorney, if I'm involved in the administration of a trust, um, if I'm not going to be doing everything involved in that, I have to make sure that I have an engagement letter that very explicitly states the only things I'm going to be doing in reference to the trust administration. So that if there's a part of it that's messed up in some way by the successor trustee, I'm not held responsible for that because I wasn't hired to do that part of the administration. Uh, 
So this is not a matter of blackmail. This is a matter of uh, liability on the part of an attorney, liability for just doing one part of administration when maybe they feel that they should not do any part of it unless they're doing all of it. Perfectly fine, perfectly respectable. I don't work that way myself, but there's nothing wrong with an attorney or firm that says that's the way we handle it. And uh, unless you want to engage us to do the trust administration, then we're not going to do any part of the administration. Perfectly fine. I don't see anything wrong with that. Now, here's someone who's asking, says, look, I'm the beneficiary of an irrevocable trust, which suggests that someone just died. And now this person's going to be receiving an inheritance of some kind. Is it possible until everything is settled to receive a preliminary distribution of funds? Can the trustee allow that? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, the trustee would have implicit authority in a trust to make a partial distribution of an inheritance. Um, uh, I've had that done a few times in trust administration. And really what it's based on is, are there sufficient assets being left behind to make sure that all bills and debts are paid, to make sure that mortgages are paid off, and to, to have a reserve for things that might show up that we don't know about right now. I usually recommend that if you're going to do a preliminary distribution, it should not exceed 50% of what someone is going to be receiving, um, and even maybe less than that if there's a lot of uncertainty. So that's my show for today. Uh, we just have a brief time left together on the air here. Uh, you can always go to my website, lawbob.com, register for my seminar. You can go to eventbrite.com or my website, register for my October 19th seminar. But until next week, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I hope you have a great weekend here in the Bay Area. Talk with you next week. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.